clarity, such a powerful thing when you have it and you go into turmoil when you don't. And you might not even realize that you don't have it. What you feel is you feel off center, off course. You feel unmotivated. You feel overwhelmed. And I see this time and time again with entrepreneurs is you feel so overwhelmed that you just don't know your next best steps. When you have clarity, this is when you feel so driven. You can see the master plan and you know exactly what you do. Now, it's quite interesting because yesterday I had a client that came to me that had a VIP day and this is where we sit down and we strategize their master plan. And normally when they show up, they're excited. They've invested their money. They're going to walk through their master plan, walk away with knowing their exact steps of execution. This session was a complete disaster how it started because the client actually said to me, I just don't know if even this is going to be worthwhile now. And I said to her, tell me what's going on. And I coached her through finding out what's actually happening. See, there's a difference between a coach and a consultant. A consultant tells you what to do. Now, people come to me for my expertise and I'm a very good consultant because they don't want to be coached. They don't want to help find the answers. They want to be told the strategies. However, there's a time when I need to step into coaching too so one I can help find their voice and help let them find what the problem is. So I was asking a question and I just said, what's coming up for you? And she said, my daughter's career has started to take off and she's a juvenile and she's getting into acting and we're getting so many opportunities overseas. And because she's a minor, I'm going to have to go over there and be with her. But at the same time, I'm trying to build my business. So you can understand being a mother, you're stuck in a catch-22 because you obviously want the best for your daughter, plus obviously she's got a life of her own her own goals. And then I asked her, how important is it for you to have money behind you? Is Are you financially comfortable right now or do you need to have income coming in? And she said, oh no, God no, I need money coming in. And I said, okay, great. Well, if you're going to be traveling, what if we were to create a business where we can really help you get money to continually come in, but so you're not location dependent? What if we create the new part of your business so it's location independent? And as soon as we had that clarity, the session for three hours just took off. And we walked away with this amazing plan and whiteboarded it all out. And this is what actually happens when we have clarity. And the reason why I bring this up to you right now is because do you have clarity around your money? Do you actually have clarity in knowing how you actually get in it and what you're doing with it? If you want to get good at earning money, you've got to learn money. You've got to really understand it. And today's interview is with Mary Barker, the wealth designer. And she actually opens the interview sharing about if you actually change a woman's wealth, you can change the world. And she goes into describing how that actually happens. Now, Mary has been a financial planner for 20 years, and she's also a private client of mine as well, a part of my highest tier in my mastermind. And I couldn't not not share her. This lady has over 20 years of education, and the clients that she has helped collectively, 
She has helped build over hundreds of millions of dollars of wealth in the clients over the last 20 years, and I wanted to bring her on so you too can learn from her. If you want to learn world's best practice, learn from the best. You're going to have so many insights in today's interview. It's purely you being selfish about you learning about how you can grow your wealth and really have a strong, solid foundation. I actually pull out a part in her book about Sarah Jessica Parker. Every woman knows her, right, from Sex and the City. Um, And what you might not know is where Sarah came from. And to understand a person that had such a poverty situation growing up, to be able to step into her strength and to be able to build a business about herself, because let's just face it, an actor is a product of themselves. They are a brand. And for her to be able to step into that and take control of her life, it's really interesting because the insights that you will learn are things that you can continually take on and bring into your own life. So now where Mary comes into play is to teach you what to do with your money. We even go into tips on what to do if you don't have much money because a lot of people are so scared of growing their wealth because they haven't got two cents to rub together, right? So if that's you, don't worry, you're still going to learn some stuff today. I absolutely love this saying. I was watching an Oprah show years back and I remember her talking about money and she said, money does not make you an asshole. If you're an asshole and you make a lot of money, it just makes you a bigger asshole. (laughs) She said, if you have a big heart and you're a good person, it actually, money actually helps that person help more people. It was something along those lines, but it was the most powerful statement I think I've heard on, on TV about money to help reframe anyone that has a fear around it. So with that being said, let's finish on Oprah and let's introduce Mary Barker, wealth designer. Hi, this is Annette Lakovich, and you're listening to Cashflow Candy. Join me while I interview successful entrepreneurs, business specialists, and share the ultimate information, helping you increase your sales, doing what you love. So let's start making some candy for your business. Mary Barker, absolutely so pumped and so happy to finally be sharing you uh, with the audience on Cashflow Candy. I've been lucky enough to... <laughs> have you to myself. Um, uh, for any of you who don't know that Mary Barker and I have known each other for just under a year now. She's a private client of mine. She's actually a part of the highest tier of my mastermind program. And um, uh, she is an incredible woman and her expertise is second to none when it comes to you and your money. Hence why I need her to be on Cashflow Candy to talk to you guys today because Cashflow Candy, really the underlying part is about money. So uh, big congratulations and um, thank you for joining us today, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Mary, um, I know your story, but nobody else knows your story listening um, unless they've actually picked up your brand new book, which I'd love to dive into that today. Can you take us back to your, like, why are you so uh, heavily invested, <laughs> pardon the pun, into money and growing <laughs> people's wealth? You've got this amazing book out, Women of Independent Means. Um, you know, why is money such a high focus point for you? How did you actually come into this, into this world of finance? It's a really great question. On reflection, I actually remember as a little girl, 
I in this Christmas school holidays, I'd take my old exercise books that weren't used during the year and I would chop them up and make little checkbooks and, and savings books and transactions and I'd put them in my little my little girl's handbag and I'd walk around the house pretending to go to the bank That's and so make cute. transactions <laughs> and pretending to go shopping. Yeah. But as a woman, I went to a women's conference and I heard Chanel Hall of UNICEF speaking about women and she showed a map of the of the world mm-hmm. and coloured in red were the countries where women were exploited and, and basically treated as second-class citizens. Right. And then she showed another map of the world that had all the third-world countries. And those two maps were virtually identical. And it just spoke deep to me about how we need to empower women around their money. If you can change a woman's finances, you change her whole family's finances mm. and her children's finances and their futures. And if you change the family's finances, you can then change a community's finances and change a whole country's finances. And that was my vision, to, to, to make that happen, to create a global tribe of women who are all strong and savvy and empowered around their money. Mm. Was that what made you then, was that the trigger for Women of Independent Means, your book? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that and big congratulations well, I, on that because, you know, you're a financial you. planner, so I don't think there's many financial planners go, hey, let me be an author as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I've been in financial services for about 20 years mm. and I would often see women who would just say, oh, where do I sign? Um, or not want to be involved, or their husband ran their money, and they weren't engaged in their finances. So it's really important to me when people come in and women come in that they, that I, I actually take the time to educate them about what they're doing and why they're doing it. I don't want them signing documents where they don't know what they are. Stop, mm-hmm. ask questions. Do not sign anything that you do not understand and do not sign anything that you are not happy to sign. Mm. You, you, that's one thing I've learned being with you is um, you're massive on education. It's not that you just go in and you yeah. just clean up everyone's finances and just go, okay, this is what you need to do. You actually you know, elicit their, their values. You really find out what's important to them. It's to make sure they feel like they still can have, you know, fun and live um, and education is part of that. I, you know, I loved witnessing that. And can I just say that you walk your talk as well. Uh, you're, you know, just doing your – your money dates on Sundays and it's just, you know, you, you can meet a lot of experts but they don't walk the talk and that's one thing that I've been able to witness firsthand is that you do exactly what you teach, which is just, um, yeah, it's, it's just an honour to actually witness that. Oh, thank you so much. Look, I'm not perfect. I have bad days and good days but I, I do try and stick to the fundamentals. Yeah, like, like the car that you just rocked up with the other day. You actually like the car, <laughs> <laughs> this is a, so against everything that I teach, but I feel like I need it. Well, I think after 20 years, uh, I did wrestle. I wrestled. I wrestled with the car. <laughs> she got a hot, um, sexy BMW convertible, guys. That's what we're talking about. So, um, yeah, it's um, <laughs> the yin and the yang. Oh, should I, shouldn't I? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's an investment. <laughs> we can work okay, out it's an investment. I love it's it. Not, that's okay. So I'm calling it a reward. A reward. It's a reward for hard work. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Um, let's dive into your book because obviously yep. um, 
there's going to two different types of listeners that we have on Cashflow Candy. And I'd love to start with the first part of the book where you open up about the courage because some of the women here, they've stepped away from employment. They're now needing to fund themselves, like you're saying before, the funding, the family. Um, And it is freaking scary when you're in startup because your paycheck comes from you. So um, some of them, I don't know what their finances are going to be like. So I think this would be a really perfect place to start. I'd love to dive into courage and talk about the fears that you find that um, you come up with or you come across with um, with, your, with your clients. Can we dive into the courage part of the, the chapter? Yeah. A lot of people aren't don't feel brave enough to face their finances. They, they might or might not know they've got a problem mm-hmm. um, or else they don't actually really know where they are. Um, a lot of people don't come to see me until they're about 40. Um, some, I mean, some come in their 20s and 30s, but typically around 40 people start to think to themselves, where am I? What have I got? Where am I going? I've only got so much longer to keep working. But what am I going to do with my wealth? Uh, I actually think it does take courage to face that, mm-hmm. to look at yourself in the mirror and go, I've, I've got to start to make a change. And, and I yeah. congratulate that. I, th- I think well done, good on you for, for facing that and for being having the courage to move forward. Mm. Um, my philosophy is that to be empowered, you have to take action. If you've got a problem and you sit with that problem, you're a victim. The moment you take the first step towards action, you're taking your power back. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's really important that you – look at the situation so okay there's a money problem not a problem at all what's the first thing you need to do to get out of that what's the very smallest thing you can do to make a change start doing that mm-hmm. and then when you get better at that what's the next thing you need to do to start to make a change mm. sitting in sitting with the problem is not going to change anything you have to take action mm. when when would you say is the time that people should be like really looking at the finances and and you know, really sorting things out because you say most people don't do it till they're forty. When should they start doing it? Like, what's the age? What would you say if you if you could learn this through school? Like, when is it when they really in should start? In an ideal world, in an ideal world, you would do it as soon as you start working. So, wow. as soon as you're producing an income, you would start with your savings. You would start with your investments. You'd start to put at least ten dollars a week towards your retirement. Your employer will will put it towards their retirement for you in Australia. Mm-hmm. But um, as an in, as an individual, if you threw ten or twenty dollars towards your superannuation, you wouldn't notice it in your weekly cash flow, mm-hmm. and it would make a huge difference to your retirement benefit at the at the end of your employment. Um, what tends to happen is, you know, we leave work and, we, and most people do start to save and then they get their house and they have a couple of kids mm-hmm. and that's a really tricky time for people. Having small children and maybe one full-time income and one part-time income, it's a really difficult time to make ends meet. Um, you've got your mortgage, you've got a lower income, you've got two children to support, school fees, all the things that go along with that. So typically... Um, People come to see me when the mortgage has become manageable. Yeah. Um, they've gotten older. Fund, cash funds are starting to actually flow. Um, whereas they might have been living paycheck to paycheck, all of a sudden they're now finding that they're um, have, seeing savings accumulate in their bank account, not because mm-hmm. they have a budget, just because they're not spending all of their income. Yeah. Uh, and then they start to think, or, or it hits a certain age. And it's like it's like almost like the opposite of a biological clock. It's like the retirement clock starts ticking, <laughs> and they go, um, 
oh gosh, I've got to make, I've got to take some action. Mm. Well, what if you've got some people that feel like they, they really don't have enough? Like, where do I start? Let's just say, um, if you go to chapter eight of your book, uh, you've got this story and I swear I teared up when I read it. It was about Sarah Jessica Parker. So anyone listening, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker off sex in the city, right? Um, You've said here in an interview that she actually um, was one of eight children. Three siblings were from her mother in the first marriage um, and then four children from the second. And she actually said, I remember my childhood as the Dickinsons. Um, I remember being poor. There was no great way. There was no way, way to actually hide it. We didn't have electricity sometimes. We didn't have birthdays sometimes. Or our bill collector came, um, phone companies came to say we're shutting things off. We were old enough um, to know what those calls are about and to see our mother's reaction. You go on to describe, let me just go into here. She says, when I was 11, my parents moved to Roseville. Um, there was a there was a there was a sort of a castle so that's, system. That's basically what we would call housing commission. Yes. So and when she, she was eleven, her parents moved to a, basically a housing commission area. Mm. Yeah. And she said and that she, it was yeah whoever it was like sort of in order. So the person that was closest to the yeah. parking lot, they were the poorest, and they were there. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And she talks about how. During school, they would call her out of class to say, you know, come and get your meal ticket. Literally, we mm. use the term meal ticket, but what that meant was she got a free hot lunch because she was so poor. And and that was another stigmatism, to be called out of class to get your free ticket. You can imagine, you know, you're in yeah. history class and the teacher goes, oh, Sarah Jessica, come get your meal ticket. It, You know, everyone knows mm. you're poor. So and it was really hard for her and nothing really changed until she was 14 and she got a role in any and that started her career, and she just loved being in theatre. She Not only was she being paid, which was great, but she loved the structure of the theatre. She loved the atmosphere of being in theatre. Mm. She, she felt chaos at home because everything was so bad that when she was at the theatre, she sort of felt a bit of peace. Yeah, and she probably could and escape and be a different character. <laughs> yeah. And even when she became successful, she because of her upbringing, she was still very much focused on money. When she married Matthew Broderick, mm-hmm. they keep their money separate. He's got his own money and his financial planner. She's got her own money and her financial planner. Um, and she works really hard on her money. She works on her portfolio. She's currently worth about $90 million, mm-hmm. but she came from a very poor background. Yeah. Yeah. And she's not together with Matthew anymore, I don't think. I think they've actually broken up. Oh. Mm, oh, yeah. Um, uh What's interesting about that is one we wouldn't have known. No one would have known that. Mm. Like just reading your book, that's how I actually found out. What if someone's actually thinking their past equals their future? Because that's just a proof that pa- your past does not equal their future. Your, your future, you can change it. Where is one person to start? Let's just say if they haven't got much behind them. What's one area that they can really start on focusing on really just to start get the alliance of getting their finances together? Okay, so we talk a lot in the beginning of the book about mindset because that's where it all starts. It all starts with the, with your thinking and how you think about money. So we talk about getting your mindset right and mm-hmm. having um, rules about what, what to do and what not to do. So we sort of start with mindset and, and, and working out what your why is and working out what drives you around money, mm-hmm. whether your drivers are internal or external. And then once you – once the interesting thing, Annette, is once you get a vision 
of what you can do, mm-hmm. everything changes. One of the main reasons people overspend is they don't really have a vision of what's achievable. Mm. But when I sit with clients and we look at their numbers and we crunch through their numbers and we go, you know what, you could actually have a million in retirement or two million in retirement. It's really quite achievable. Everything changes. Everything changes when they see what's achievable. Because and then their, their own motivation mm. changes. Yeah. It, it becomes, it's an eternal thing. Their own motivation changes. Their thinking starts to change. And they start to they then start to behave differently. Mm. I talk about imagine that you're an investor. In your psyche, you, you're an, you're now an investor. So when when people go and their girlfriend told me, you know, when she goes shopping now, she doesn't look at the bargain. She says to herself, "I'm an investor. I, I don't waste money on that rubbish. I've got shares to buy. I've got retirement to plan. I've got investment to think about." Hmm. Well, let's, really talk lovely, about, let's talk about budgeting then. Let's go into that because budgeting, okay. you were saying, is like the, 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 the biggest foundation for financial success. Absolutely, uh, yeah, 100%. So I'm a big believer of a budget. People, people think of budgets like diets and they think it's going to be hard and it's going to be restrictive. <laughs> but my whole philosophy... I love that. They're like diets. <laughs> people think it's going to be restrictive. I'm not going to be allowed to get shoes... I'm not going to be allowed to get Botox. You'd be surprised how many people get Botox, how many how many budgets I've had for women where I've had to allow for Botox. I was kind of shocked, but that's okay. <laughs> no, no judgment. No judgment. I was just shocked. So with a budget, what we want to do is give purpose to every dollar of your income and design mm-hmm. your future. So we look at what's really important to you. And, and for me, travel is really important and education is really important. So I make sure in my budget that I have an allocation for travel. I like to travel mm-hmm. yes, at least overseas, twi- overseas, I do. <laughs> overseas at least twice a year. So I've just come back from Chicago and Mexico and I'm about to go to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. But I also, if I can't get overseas, which is fine, I love to do like a long weekend. I'll, I'll grab my husband and, and we'll go for it just a drive down the coast or a drive up the coast or something. So my budget has to allocate for travel. Now I'll take my flashy BMW. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you there, but I could I just uh, went into the, the vision cortex and just saw you there with the scarf <laughs> and the neck with the roof down. <laughs> Absolutely fine. So once we've got your vision and we know what you want to achieve, then we look at your values and we look at your goals because that mm. gives us our, our why, our how, and our what around your money. Mm. When we've got those things in place, then you've got direction and you've got clarity. So it's really – and then then you basically – people have their own internal motivation then. But budgeting is the foundation of all of that. We want to allocate for shoes. We want to allocate for Botox. We want to allocate for travel and for the things that are important to you. Mm. But we also want to allocate for your future because your future is important. And when you save money and invest, what you're actually telling your psyche is, I'm important and my future is important. And I'm going to put some money aside for that. So we make sure that your debts are being paid down. We make sure that your retirement's being planned for and that your short-term savings are being planned for as well. Mm. I love you saying give purpose, give purpose to your money, give purpose to your dollars. What's the biggest mistake you see with people budgeting? Too hard. They make it all too hard. Mm. They think they they think they they don't they don't they, it's like a diet. They think you know if I I won't spend on this and I won't spend on that and I won't go out for dinner and I won't have a coffee and I won't do all the things that are important to me. It's, there's no point. There's no point doing a budget that's too hard. You won't stick to it. Yeah, just like a diet. If it's the other thing, taking everything away, yeah. you're gonna break it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. 
The other thing that we do, which is slightly different, is we work out how much cash you need for the week. So your discretionary and your non-discretionary. Mm-hmm. We put your discretionary money into a separate account. So I actually like my clients to have you know four or five accounts, so that each bucket of money has a purpose. And we don't mm-hmm. touch those buckets except for the discretionary bucket. And only the discretionary bucket has an ATM card. So when you get paid, you have some money going into your bills, you have some money going into your uh, long-term savings, mm-hmm. some money going into your investments, and then some money going into a discretionary spending account. That is your money to spend. And yeah. only that account has an ATM card. So when you go to the ATM when you've been paid, you don't see a great big whack of money particularly for people who are paid monthly, it's even too, it's harder for those people to budget mm-hmm. if they don't have a budget. But when you go to the ATM and see a big whack of money, you kind of in, inside, in our little triggers, in our brain, we tell ourselves, woohoo, party time. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you go to that amount of money and you say, this is what I'm allowed to spend, this is my money for the week, it's it, and because I'm visual, what you what I what I see is what I spend. So I put a different amount into that account. That's my spending money, and then I take that amount out every week in cash. I don't use a debit card or a credit card. When you use plastic, either debit or credit, doesn't matter. But when you use plastic, it doesn't register in your brain that you've spent money. Mm. When you pay for things with cash, it actually triggers a pain response in your brain, and you are aware very aware that you are paying for things with cash. And that is so and true. The other thing too, it's really true. Yeah. And visually you can see what you've got in your wallet. So I went to the bank on Sunday, Sunday's my money day, and I withdrew my cash for the week. I'm just <laughs> can opening you my wallet. your wallet now. <laughs> I've got about I can hear it. $85 left for the week. So I need to make that money last for the rest of the week. Because I'm visual, I can see that. So mentally as I'm spending, I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself, what have I got left? What have I got left? What have That's I got left? So and I'm sort of semi budgeting through my way through the week. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to get my nails done this week. I'm going to have to be careful. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> so where's that $85 go for you? Like, what do you, what, what, what are you now going to budget between? <laughs> what is it, what is it? It's really interesting, Annette. Some, some weeks I have a heap of money left over, mm-hmm. and some weeks I have no money. And I think that's just life, you know, in the way we live yeah. at the moment. There's some weeks I'll have, you know, dinner with girlfriends. And that will chop up money. Mm-hmm. And some weeks, if I've got a really busy week at work, um, when I just got back from Mexico, I was massively busy at work because I had all these clients. I had to get their files finished because I'd been away. Um, I was working so much I wasn't spending money and I had yeah. all this money left over at the end of the week. I've got a little tip about that as well for leftover money. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to leftover money. <laughs> um, but if, I'm, if I've got a big social week, if you've got someone's birthday party, it goes, kids' parties, yeah. um, lunch with the girls, it will go. Um, I try to not buy breakfast and not buy lunch. That's my own personal thing. I don't judge you if mm-hmm. that's important to you. Emery, who works for me, she wants to buy her lunch every day. That's her special thing. That's her treat to herself. I have no problem with that, but we just allocate it. Yeah. Um, what do you do with your leftover? So you said you've got a tip for that. Oh, I do. So I, I used to um, – so Sunday I, I get my money. I used to – I went through this phase of not getting my money on Sunday. So if I, it was Monday, Sunday and I still had $85, I would not get my money. I would make it stretch till Tuesday or Wednesday and I would think to myself, oh, I'm, 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 I'm doing so well, I'm saving, you know. But what I do now is I tuck it into the back of my wallet. I, I fold it up into three or four mm-hmm. and I tuck it into the back and I still get my, my money out on Sunday. Then 
if I see a fabulous pair of shoes yeah. or a handbag or something that I just really want, I've got this tucked away money. That's great. That's and just I like use my tucked away money. Jeans. Jeans of my own. I got fifty dollars. I love that. <laughs> How does he not miss that? <laughs> just sits with <laughs> jeans and they go in the wash. Um, let's talk about asset lo- allocation because that was a part in mm-hmm. your um, in your book, which is really interesting. Because I can imagine that some of the women listening, they probably have cash coming into their business. Um, maybe they've got some, if they own their house or they've got some investment properties. I'd love to talk about why it's important not to put your, all your eggs in one basket. Can we go there now? Absolutely. So with Australia, we love property. Uh, every sort of middle-class Australian family has an investment property or owns a home and has an investment property. So, and the funny thing is, is that clients will come in and say to me, oh, I bought the house across the street. I bought the house around the corner because it's what they see and feel and know. They know their street. They know their community. And so they feel very comfortable to invest in the things that they know. Mm. It's really important to diversify. We've had a great ride with property. It's been fantastic. I suspect that that will start to flatten out. Um, as interest rates go up, that that will become more flat. What tends to happen historically, if you look at the charts, Mm -hmm. shares will go up and then property will go up and then shares will go up and then property will go up. And if you looked at the charts now, you see that the share market has been improving uh, in the last six months. Now, that's not not financial advice. Don't go out there and buy shares because Mary said to. (laughs) But when (laughs) when you diversify, you've got a finger in every pie. If shares go up, fantastic, you've got some allocation to that. If property goes up, fantastic, you've got some allocation to that. If interest rates go up, fantastic, you've got some allocation to cash. So you always want to have your finger in every piece of pie, if you possibly can. Some people like to stick to one thing. I would encourage you to have a little bit of everything. It's more balanced. Mm. And if there's a crash, again, if there's a crash in shares or a crash in property, well, then you've only got an allocation to that. Not all of your money is in that, is in that pocket. Mm. Um, you talk about a plan let me just find it there was a really cool quote it says nobody this is a quote from Larry Wingett I think his name is oh it's one of my favorites yeah (laughs) nobody ever wrote down a plan to be broke fat lazy or stupid those things are what happens when you don't have a plan Yeah. So tell me, um, what's one of the first things um, somebody should do if they don't have a plan? Like what are some tips that you could do? Or even I know you've got a bit of a gift with them today, um, if if, I don't know if that actually helps, but what's the importance of a plan? Obviously we know that it gives you direction, it gives you clarity, um, but where could they first start getting this? Start with what you – so start with the vision. Start with what you really want to achieve and be as big as possible. I have a philosophy that if people are not laughing at you because your vision is so outrageous, it's not big enough. Mm-hmm. So start with a really big vision. And maybe for you that's a million dollars or maybe it's $5 million. Whatever it is for you, start with a big vision. Put a budget in place. Mm-hmm. Once your budget's in place, start to save money. Once your savings are in place – Start to look for some investments that suit you. Don't don't get investments that suit other people. Make sure that they suit you. Mm-hmm. Then when your investments are in place, you, you can start to actually grow your wealth. Having money sitting in cash is not growing your wealth, and it's also very tempting. That 
if you looked at your bank account and you saw that it was growing really high, you might be more tempted to buy those shoes and you might be more tempted to buy those bags because we tell ourselves, I can afford that. It's one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves. I can afford mm-hmm. that. I can afford that. So don't leave cash lying around in bank accounts as soon as it becomes a substantial amount transferred into an investment. Mm-hmm. And what's the substantial amount? It's different for everybody. So some people feel safe with $1,000 in their bank account. Some people feel safe with $20,000 in their bank account. Mm-hmm. So at that point that you feel that it's safe, transfer it to an investment. Yeah. And then I suppose it depends what that investment is, if it's shares or if it's, um, I suppose. Correct. So shares are quite liquid. You can get in and out of shares quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, managed funds are quite liquid. You can get in and out of those quite quickly. But, of mm-hmm. course, a property is not liquid. Yeah. So if you're buying a property, make sure you've still got enough money in your savings account that you feel safe. Mm. if there's an emergency the fridge breaks down the washing machine breaks down i had it all happen in one week once the fridge the washing machine i don't know maybe <laughs> no, it's low right it was $5, when it rains it all pours. in one week yeah all in one week five thousand bucks gone damn so whatever that amount is for you that makes you feel safe mm. well i know that you've got a plan which i'd love to share with the ladies listening um you sent me a text message i think just random annette i'm going to make one million dollars in income this year so that was your plan um, how do you how, how did you plan to actually get that? What, what's the plan of income? Okay, so of course I I run a business. I run my own business, Mary Barker Financial Planning. That business will produce an income. Mm-hmm. But I encourage every everyone to have also passive income because there's only so many hours a day you can work. Yeah. So for me, yeah. passive income comes from online sales. Mm-hmm. And also from flipping houses. One of the things that I do on the side is I flip houses. So I'll buy an old house, I'll do it up, I'll sell it. I'll buy another old house, I'll do it up, I'll sell it. So flipping houses for me also gives an income. Mm. How did you get into that? And that necessity. <laughs> yeah. So did you, did you love, um, do, we, happened, do you do the actual full renovation yourself or do you get contractors in? Do you know, um, I do both. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my husband jokes that I'm a frustrated tradie and that, he, you know, if you give me a tool belt, I can do anything. Um, so what happened was when I was first married, uh, I had two children. My husband had three children. We had to buy a five-bedroom house in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, which is at that time was the most expensive area in, in Australia wow. yeah. because that's where the kids went to school. Mm-hmm. And, Still um, pretty pricey now. We bought, yeah. <laughs> we bought the dumpiest house. It was it was a five bedroom four four bedroom house five can't remember and it was so bad it every door had at least one hole punched into it oh wow the people who owned it smoked and so the whole place stank <laughs> it had brown shag pile carpet the walls there were no plaster walls all the walls were face brick so you walked in it was like walking into the Brady Bunch house every single wall was brown brick no plaster. No mm. Jabrock. And the wow. ceilings were yellow from the smoke. Oh, so, but it was all we could gosh. afford. The backyard was a jungle. You actually couldn't get into the backyard. It was so overgrown. So um, that's what we bought. Yeah. And, and that's um, where you had your work cut out. Just yeah. Bit by bit. Yeah, bit by bit renovated it. And then we realized, you know, how much money we'd made. And so, you know, we thought, We've, we're onto something here. We can do this. Mm-hmm. And so we sold that and we bought another one. Same thing. The house was so bad. Um, this woman was so funny. She had painted the skirting boards lime green and bright red. It was just um, – it was interesting. It was, it was the Dr. Zeus house, we called it. The Dr. Zeus house. Because Maybe everything was like – Did you know that on colours? The front of the house – the front of the house was purple and black. 
purple and black. Who paints their house purple wow. and black? Yeah. But anyway, mm. we got it for a bargain. Fantastic. We did it up. We sold it. We made a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, if uh, what, what gifts do you have today? Um, I know you've got something there that they can help with the investing side of it. I do. I do. Because to me, you are not making money until you start to invest. Budgeting is fantastic. Saving is great. But until you start to invest, mm-hmm. you are not really building wealth. Yeah. So I have a book all about investing. It's like a 101 on investing. It's going to tell you how – and this is what where people trip over because they can – they can budget and they can save and they get a little bit scared about investing. They're just not sure where to start. Yeah. So it's all about how to start, where to look, what sort of research you want to do. I always talk about having an entry strategy and having an exit strategy. And there's lots of explanations in there. Everything's defined in there so that you'll feel more, more empowered to step forward and actually make an investment of your own. So I have the book as a giveaway in it. Oh, fantastic. Um, your email address uh, – your email address <laughs> – You'll be in flux. Where do we send them to? Is it marybarker.com.au? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Now, if anyone wants to pick up this book, and I tell you, ladies, it is it rocks. I've actually given three. Um, I've got three of them. I've kept one for myself and two as a gift, um, and the two women that I've given them as a gift absolutely love it. Um, where can they get that? Can they grab that book, Women of Independent Means, on your website as well, or is there somewhere else? It's on the website. Them? Okay, yep, fantastic. The Mary, thank you so much for sharing your genius. You've given some awesome, awesome tips, especially with um, I think the second last one on, you know, how to start, like what's the best direction with a plan. You just pretty much laid out um, a great step-by-step vision for them to actually follow. Um, and obviously if they ever want to, your services as well, um, they can get you at marybarker.com.au as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all your genius um, advice today. Absolutely my pleasure, Nat. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Bye-bye. I'll be right back answering our listener's question after this commercial break. Are you selling your products or services one-on-one and continually saying the same thing over and over again, thinking there has to be an easier way? That's where learning to sell on webinars is key. Annette Lakovic's six-figure webinar sales system will help you grow your list fast, transform your sales, and get your business out there in a much bigger way. If you're a service-based business, coach, consultant, sell information, education products, or courses, then you must start truly leveraging webinars. Webinars will take your business to the next level and help you serve more customers, stop you having to sell the one-on-one model, and start with the one-to-many, giving you more time to work on your business or just have more freedom to do the things you love. The six-figure webinar sales system is a simple step-by-step training system that not only creates hunger and desire for your customers to buy through webinars, but generates a robust sales funnel to keep building your empire. From crafting your talk to getting bums on seats. Heck, she's even giving you Facebook training to drive more traffic. You can grab it now for 50% off with your Cashflow Candy listeners code. Just type in Cashflow50, all one word at the checkout. Welcome back. This is the time I answer a listener's question. If you have a question that you'd love for me to answer on Cashflow Candy, all you need to do is go to my Annette Lakovich fan page, type in your question, and all you have to do is hashtag Cashflow Candy. So today's question actually comes from Tammy from Western Australia. Second one from Western Australia, actually. Uh, hi, guys. My hubby's actually from Western Australia, so we go over there a few times a year. Tammy says... And it hoping you can help me in the way of closing a sale. 
I build so much rapport with a customer, but by the time they give me an objection, I do not want to overcome it as I'm scared of breaking rapport. (laughs) This is probably one of the most common, common questions I get. Or maybe not questions, but more a fear or um, a conversation that normally gets raised when I'm doing training in groups. Understand this, that rapport is very important in the sales process. Yes, and it's great that you're a rapport builder. However, there was a statistic that came out from Harvard many, many years ago. Not that I'm into big statistics, so this one stood out because it was about sales. They actually interviewed a whole heap of salespeople all over the world in all different industries, blue chip, uh, blue collar, white collar, uh, you name it, highest performing salespeople to find out what were the five highest most important traits for sales. And you think that rapport would have been the first one. However, it wasn't. The highest trait, the most common trait out of the best performing salespeople in the world was actually the salespeople that did not fear to stretch the customer's mindset and be assertive and speak up about how the product will work for them and point out if the customer has a wrong thought, wrong way of thinking. Now, this is actually very true in the way that do you actually continually suck up to your customer or play very nice and not normally point out if they've actually got an opinion or a thought process that really is not entirely true? Do you actually stretch their mindset to show them something different? The other thing is that overcoming objections doesn't mean that you have to build break rapport. You don't break rapport overcoming objections. You break rapport being a bitch or an asshole or having no care. And when you overcome an objection, objection is really a continuation of the first part of the sales process, which is questioning and qualification, or what I like to say, diagnosis. So when you go into objection handling, you're better off asking some questions around that. So example, if the person said they want to have a think about it, you need to say, sure, I totally understand you need to think about it. I have to think about things too sometimes. Do you mind if I ask what it is you need to have a think about? Now, you're best off not pausing there. You're best off actually saying, you know, is it this? Is it that? Could it be also this? And going through a couple of things that you know it probably isn't, (laughs) this is the technique, knowing what it's not, and then being able to say, or is it safe to say, considering that, oh, that's fine, that it's the money or the investment or the costs that you need to think about. 99% of the time you get objections, the I want to think about an objection anyway, is because the customer um, needs to still compare the price to the value um, of what it's actually worth. So then you'll end up having a money conversation. But understand this, just going back to objections, objection handling is um, something that is an absolute art. It's a finesse and it should not feel uncomfortable for you or the customer. Um, a selfless plug here, my reverse selling system, we actually go through five modules that actually help you from the very start of the sales conversation to be able to elicit all your customers' questions and also invisibly uh, elicit your customers' possible objections. So you reduce them before they come up. At the end of the final module, which is module five, we actually go through clarity finding and I give you 
all the different ways to overcome the five most common objections that we get from customers like, I don't have enough time, I've got to speak to my partner or accountant or some third party, it costs too much, it's too expensive, I need to think about it. So these are the most common objections and I actually teach you how to overcome them. So if you haven't already, roll up your sleeves and get stuck into the reverse selling system. We've got a cash flow candy 50% off discount there um, that can also make it a lot easier for you to get started. But you know, sure enough, you should be able to make one or two sales and be able to pay that back tenfold and you've got that for the rest of your business life. Um, but all I can say is lastly is with the objections is never fear to overcome the objection. Never fear in helping that customer find clarity. Stay in your power and talk through it with the customer face to face because as soon as that customer walks away and you do a follow-up call, guess what will happen? you'll find it hard, one, to get a hold of them, or two, they'll throw the objection back in your face. Um, And that's another problem as well when you're ringing for an objection, um, when you've been given an objection, I should say, when you're ringing, do not ring up and say, oh, hi, Annette, we met the other day and you said you wanted to think about it. I'm just wondering if you're still thinking about it. If you ring up with the objection, the customer will throw the objection back in your face. You're better off ringing up, talking about the outcome, talking about the solution and the problem and how your product helps them to be able to get them across the line. But instead of doing that, First, take the carriage, sit in your power and discuss the objection openly before they walk away. And that will save you a hell of a lot of horrible follow-up calls. (laughs) Um, Thanks so much. I really appreciate your question, Tammy, and uh, wishing you all the best. If you have a question for Cashflow Candy, all you need to go is go to my Annette Lakovich fan page and just type in your question and hashtag Cashflow Candy and I'll answer it on one of the shows. Hope you enjoyed today's interview and I'll see you in a fortnight's time. Bye-bye. Bye.